Hey, Emily. Hey, Greg. So, uh, as a Devils fan, it's not been the best start for the season. Um, blowing, you know, two, three goal leads on home ice, not advisable. Not having a win yet, not advisable as we do this not podcast. Not great, Bob. Not great. Not great. Um, so, so as, as every sports fan knows, when you follow multiple teams, it's always a, a, a yin and a yang, an even Steven, an up and a down. So as the devils plummet into the depths of the abyss of the NHL, where once again, hopefully Taylor Hall is still there for the next lottery pick, the New York Jets defeat the Dallas Cowboys. And I say this to you because I got a call from my dad, you know, from whom I, I get all my sporting uh, affinities from. And we briefly talked about the Devils foibles and, you know, he lamented the fact that the Mets are going to get another manager. And then we talked about the Jets. And my dad said after the Jets beat the Cowboys, Emily, he said, well, you know, next week, uh, obviously, you know, we'll probably beat the Patriots. Uh, and then, uh, playoffs. Playoffs? Teams one and four. Yeah. He said playoffs. Playoffs? Now keep in mind that my dad also made a wager on the Jets at the beginning of the season, took the over seven and a half wins. And laid like, you know, a hundred bucks on it or whatever. So he's got that delusional gambler thing going on on top of the delusional fan thing going on. But there you go. Devils plummeting down the depths of the Metro division into the basement of the Eastern Conference, unable to defend anything on the ice. But the New York Jets, up by virtue of having one win against the Dallas Cowboys, according to Bob Wyshynski, my dear father, playoff bound, Emily. It's all happening this week. It's all it really happening. Is. It is. Uh, coming up in ESPN and Ice, we're going to talk about teams like the Devils that are hot trash. We're going to talk about goaltenders, our yearbook superlatives for goaltending in the NHL. You want to hear that? And Mika's a Banajed of a uh, team across the Hudson River that's been quite well will join us as well here on uh, the latest edition of ESPN and Ice. Let's start the show proper, shall we? From the ice to your earbuds, a podcast about hockey, featuring things to do with hockey. From your friends at ESPN, it's ESPN on ice with Wachinski and Kaplan. It's ESPN on ice, the podcast where ESPN talks about hockey. I'm Greg Wachinski, senior NHL writer. I'm Emily Kaplan, national NHL reporter. So, two teams are off to horrible starts, uh, amongst some other teams that are off to bad starts. But two teams in particular are off to horrible starts. And that'd be, of course, the New Jersey Devils and the Dallas Stars. Let me start with the Devils first, because they're fresh in my mind. And after. once again, the Minnesota Wild get no love. Oh, and the Minnesota Wild, too. Right. Of course. I guess, yeah. I guess the difference is that two of those three teams we expected to be good. But anyways. Mm. Uh, I watched a lot of the Devils in the first week of the season, and I was left... Unimpressed. Um, here's a number that I wanted to throw out at you amongst the plethora of terrible Devils numbers at the start of the season. When they're trailing by a goal at five on five, which has happened roughly 35 minutes this season, there are minus 25 in shot attempts and a minus 15 in shots on goal. So basically what you're seeing is that when they get down a goal, they're just like, all right, screw it. We can't come back from this. We are donezo. And they just walk away. So as someone who has watched them closely, I'm curious. I was not crazy about their defensive group going into the season. I do think, yes, P.K. Subban gives you a theoretical number one guy that can eat a lot of minutes and be that top pairing defenseman. But after that, I'm not very impressed by the rest of the group. 
But the goaltending has also been pretty gosh darn awful. You've got Corey Schneider, who vowed that he felt great going into the season. Last year, he told me it was mental for him, then it was physical, then it was mental. And it was this terrible cycle he was in. And he finally feels like it's all together. And then he doesn't do great. And then he got Mackenzie Blackwood, the and you know supposed goaltender of the future, who's also have some pretty bad numbers. Who do you think more is to blame? Is it the defense or is it goaltending? It's a defense, although I will say the ultimate irony is Corey Schneider talking about how great he feels and he's in the best shape of his career, and then an opening night cramping up with a lead, and then Mackenzie Blackwood comes in and the Winnipeg Jets rally. I felt so bad for him then. It was it was terrible. Um, it's the defense. And, and so to diagnose this problem real quick, because I know there's a lot of people that have seen the numbers in this team and are wondering what the hell's going on. It's simple. Uh, if you can't get out of your own zone, it's very hard to establish an offensive flow. And oftentimes, the Devils have been pinned in their own zone for minutes at a time. And so when you skate back up the other way, you are not looking to establish zone time in the offensive attacking zone. You're looking to get to the bench because you are exhausted. So their inability to defend directly affects their inability to score. Now, that said, their ability to score has been pretty good at times. They put four goals on the Winnipeg Jets. They put four past Sergei Bobrovsky uh, yesterday. And then their defense fails them, where they, they can't make rudimentary plays uh, uh, to keep the other team off the board. And then also, uh, there's definitely been, at, at multiple times this season, an avalanche effect of one bad thing happening and then another bad thing happening and the Devils just not being able to get out of their way otherwise. So have there been better signs since the first couple of games? Sure. I think Jack Hughes, for example, is looked a lot better. Uh, I think he learned pretty quickly that just because you can dangle the U.S. development team doesn't mean that you can dangle the NHL defenseman. But uh, it's still a team that looks very lost. And like I said, Emily, six-game homestand, already 0-1 on it. I mean, at what point do you look at John Hines, their coach, and say, maybe this needs to be the thing that changes? Complicating that, of course, is the fact that John Hines got a contract extension in January complicating that of course is i don't even know who would be out there to bring in to coach the team everybody everybody that was on that deep bench of coaches to get new jobs they all got jobs who's What's left ken Hitch- hitchcock up to these days ken hitchcock? he's the usual go-to call michelle terrian what are you gonna do you know exhume Dan the Balsam. body of toe blake like what do yeah. you do at this point there's nobody left anyways do you think the devils are going to be okay please tell me they're going to be okay I think they could because it is early, and I, I feel like we have to caution all these things. But I do wonder what Ray Shiro is thinking right now because history tells us that he is a very patient and loyal GM. But history also tells us that he put a lot of resources and investment into this team this offseason, and he really, really, really wants Taylor Hall to stay. And as much as Taylor Hall is like, I know they're not doing this all because of me, like they just want to make a good team, <laughs> he knows it's all because of him, and he wants to be around a team that's a contender. And the only way to be a contender is to look like a contender and actually win some games. So, you know, maybe it's, you know, pulling the Blues playbook and firing a coach early and hoping it can turn it around. Mm-hmm. Um when we talk about hot seats and what's going on right now, I think John Hines has to be number one on the list, and there's just no bones about it. Number two on that list would be Bruce Boudreau, you figure? So yes and no. Um, look, I, I say this after reading an interview this morning with Bill Guerin, uh, with our old buddy Pierre Lebrun, and Bill Guerin actually had some nice things to say about Bruce Boudreau, saying, look, 
I don't think the problem is him. I've actually developed a good relationship with him. I think everyone's always getting evaluated at all times, but I'm kind of happy with where we're at of, of building things together. And, you know, yes, that's not the guy that he brought in. Usually when a GM comes in, he wants to hire his own guy. But I think that Bill Guerin inherited this job. It's his first GM job with so much damage control to do because of the damage that Paul Fenton did in a very short amount of time. That he knows this isn't going to be a quick fix. And look, Bruce Boudreau is a seasoned guy. And as you mentioned, there's no obvious replacement. Like when I think of when a GM is going to fire a coach, it's because they have someone ready. Like give you an example, the Winnipeg Jets, Paul Murray, if it all goes downhill, I could think Paul Murray's could go because they really like their AHL coach, right. Pascal Vincent. I don't know if the Wild have a guy right in and ready to go or Garen is, you know, somebody already he's thinking of. Yeah. Garen and, and Shira both trying to find that random Pittsburgh Penguins, you know, both going for Tony Granato at some point to see if he wants to leave Wisconsin uh, from those Penguin uh, combinations. Or they go go sign Todd Richards uh, would be the other thing, too. So the thing about the Wild, we all know that they aren't exactly the most well-constructed team at this point. They're kind of a mess. Uh, right now, as as, uh, as the season starts, uh, they're, they're, not, uh, they're not scoring. Which was to be expected. Um, but also, uh, their goaltending hasn't been all that hot, which is again to be expected, but their defense last season was at least pretty good. Uh, a bit of a mess. One and four start for the season. Wildly outscored. I kind of, I kind of want to believe you're right that they're both going to work together to see themselves out of this because I really like Bruce. But I mean, at some point, you turn the page to a younger crew, and then do you want Bruce there for that or not? One of the reasons we love Bruce is he's an amazing quote. For example, we are recording this after he has morning skate in Toronto, and we know that anytime anyone's in Toronto, we're going to hear about it. And they said, what do you like about you know starting 13 of 18 games on the road? And he goes, well, the meal money. So per diem's <laughs> still working. Owners are still paying the bills. <laughs> Honorary hockey writer with that, that line. Uh, also teams that can't score and can't uh, defend the Dallas Stars. Off Love. to a one and f- one five and one start at the beginning of the season. Uh, 6.8 shooting percentage, 29th in the NHL and 885 save percentage, which is a uh, team save percentage, which puts them, uh, actually 23rd in the NHL because I mean, the offense is killing goalies left and right, uh, but still not where you expect it to be with the kind of quality goal that they have on that team. Dallas, uh, again, uh, 13 goals in uh, in seven games. Uh, how long before team executives start calling everybody horse ex- excrement again in Dallas? <laughs> I don't know if uh, we're going to hear quite of that just yet, but I will say I, you know, we've talked about this on this podcast already of people giving their big state of the team addresses. You have Tyler Sagan after the team gets booed off the home ice talking about how this is the most important road trip of the season that they're about to go on. And of course, right after that, they get blanked out by uh, the Buffalo Sabres. But look, <laughs> the thing about the Dallas Stars is they won last year in spite of having a very bad offense. They just could not score goals, but they had great goaltending, an excellent defensive group. They were hoping that that could change this year with bringing in Pavelski. They took a flyer in Corey Perry. They thought those things would, you know, juice them up. I still think there can be time. One of the things that I do feel is underrated, and we don't really talk about that much, is when a guy comes to a new team, it takes him a little bit to get his bearings. And yeah, mm-hmm. Pavelski's a pro. He's been in the league for a while, but it's just developing chemistry, feeling comfortable with his new lineup. So 
I think uh, we have time here for them to write the ship. Remember, we were talking about them as being horse poo-poo last year. Is that a good Disney word to use, horse poo-poo? It is now. <laughs> um, and, of course, they made the playoffs and all of a sudden look pretty good in the end of spring. So you see Jim Montgomery already altering their lines. they got to figure out the power play. That just has looked awful so far. But mm-hmm. I'm a little more patient with them because I like their roster a lot better. And, obviously, you have to subscribe to Disney Plus to hear Emily say uh – curse words that's where you can find yeah. curse words on disney five dollars a uh, month have you guys heard <laughs> yeah uh jamie ben one goal seven games radulov one goal seven games uh pavelski as you said one assist in seven games not great bob and john klingberg woof. one assist in seven games and a minus five radic fact a lot of penalties too right remember when everybody was going to give radic facts to the selkie yeah minus seven again plus minus a fallible stat but also a good canary in the coal mine for some players. Um, is Dallas going to be okay is the question. I think they are. When we talk about Jim Montgomery, like he is the equivalent of the 76ers in hockey world. He talks about the process. It's all about the process of getting better. <laughs> and it's not results-oriented. And look, it's a results-oriented league. You got to win. But I do feel like this is all part of the process. And we were doubting him early last year, saying maybe this guy isn't fit to be an NHL coach. And he really did whip it together. So I've got faith in them. I do too, because I think Dallas is the kind of team, given how it, it's built, that could easily go on a run of like 12 games and like eleven wins, like Radulov or Sagan gets hot, gets on some kind of point streak. Yeah, yeah, I th- I think they're the kind of team that can do that. the The interesting development, though, in the Western Conference is the fact that there are a couple teams that maybe we thought weren't going to be good that are real good. Um, Winnipeg, even though they got the doors blown off them on home ice recently by Pittsburgh, inexplicably eight points in seven games, despite having basically me and you on their blue line for most of these games to start the season. Maybe Patrick Laine should have been on that top line all along. Who knows? Mm, maybe Patrick Laine. That's the way to get him going? Definitely on my fantasy team. And then, of course, the juggernaut of juggernauts, even though the Chicago Blackhawks ran in their parade a little bit uh, last night. Five and one, ten points. The Edmonton Oilers. I, you know, there's a lot of cupcakes on the East Coast right now. So I think some of these teams that have, have made mincemeat out of uh, the Rangers and Devils and others – uh, may not be as good as we think they are, but still a, a five and one start for the Edmonton Oilers is a pretty impressive start. Um, and I will say this about them for all of the talk about the real deal, James Neal, who we'll talk about later and McDavid and Drysdale has been incredible. 16 goals in six games is the Dave Tippett effect happening in front of our eyes in Edmonton where all of a sudden the leaky D on this team is covered up. By a good defensive coach. It's the, it's the Ken Hitchcock thing, but it's actually happening under Dave Tippett. It's fascinating. You know, the Oilers, as you mentioned, were in Chicago. So I was at their morning skate yesterday. Uh, that'd be Monday and talked to a couple players. And I was asking Oscar Clefbaum, I was like, what's the difference vibe or what's different about this team this year than last year? And man, Clefbaum is an awesome guy to talk to. He's amazing. He's like, Okay, obviously I'm going to tell you good things. We're 5-0 and oh right now. Like You should come to me in like a week or two and I'll give you an honest assessment. But that's the thing. It's just everything is going right with him right now. Mike Smith, for example, we didn't know how goaltending was going to go up. Hold up. He looks good. And Oscar Clefbaum said another thing, which is that 
they feel good about having Ken Holland there. They feel good about having Dave Tippett there because there's been so much turnover in the management and leadership ranks that they just want continuity. And I feel like there's just the sense in the team, okay, we finally have the group that ownership is going to believe in. Whether that stays true or not remains to be seen. This is the Edmonton Oilers after all. But I think that's trickling down and like you mentioned, you know, we have James Neal alleviating some of the scoring pressure from Dreisaitl and McDavid. And then you've got Dreisaitl and McDavid still looking like studs. So yep. I feel okay about this team right now. Um, like you said, it's Dave Tippett coaching them. He's known as a defensive structure coach. Maybe he can make the most out of nothing with that blue line. Mm. James Neal, awesome start. We'll talk about him in a bit. Um, I'll say this about the Oilers. I want nothing more than to vote for Connor McDavid with a clear conscience. <laughs> For the Hart Trophy, as you know, plank in my have a policy, platform. don't you? Cannot, cannot vote for the. You got to be in it to win it. If you're not in the playoffs, you're not getting my Hart Trophy vote. If the Oilers make it, I will. I will be first in line. I will send my ballot in first to say Connor McDavid for MVP, unless it's Drysdale. Um, but also, let's be honest. Like the more meaningful games the Edmonton Oilers play, the better it is for for the NHL because. It is, I mean, we are very close to sending SEAL Team 6 in. We've talked about this to rescue Connor McDavid from Edmonton. So maybe, maybe we, 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 we bring them, <laughs> we bring them down to DEFCON 2. They were at DEFCON 3, but now they're back at DEFCON 2, SEAL, SEAL, SEAL Team 6 to rescue McDavid. It's amazing. I will say this when we're talking about awards voting, I was thinking about it the other day and not great Bob department. Emily Kaplan's, uh, Jack Adams pick early in season won John exactly. Hines. John Hines. Who still has a chance if he turns it around. I think uh, what he's doing is he's doing the classic Jack Adams move, which is setting the bar really low. That's, that's exactly <laughs> it. He's really playing and gaming the system. And then I have our other pick, and I believe you share this one with me, and it probably leads us into our next segment, but Vezina winner, Freddie Anderson. Not oh, great, Bob. Not, not great. great. No. Um, again, I still think the Leafs are going to win the Cup. They're just going to have to win every game 8-7. to seven. Just gonna have What's crazy be. is Freddie Anderson never has good October numbers. We just got this stat. Only one year in his career, last year, was he over a 900 save percentage in October. That's weird. That's slow starts. There's October Ben Bishop. There's October Freddie Anderson. Everything will, will even out eventually, maybe. Uh, although, I don't know. Behind that Leafs defense, maybe it won't. All right. Let's get to our guest. Boy. And now joining us is the top line center of the New York Rangers, Mika Zibanejad. And Mika, there was a clip on Twitter. I think the Rangers put it out. It was a video and you were explaining that this was the first summer you kind of really understood what the preparation it took to make the season. And we see you're having a great start. You're playing more minutes than ever. You played 24 minutes against the Oilers the other night. I was wondering if you could just detail for us what exactly you did to change the summer and how it's making you feel on the ice now. Yeah, so I mean, it started started actually last summer. Um, just looking back at last year, uh, obviously the team uh, team result wasn't what we wanted, but personally, I feel like I took a step in the right direction. And, and um, it obviously started with the summer, uh, just trying to be a pro, basically twenty four seven, and understanding the 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 this the summer plan and the summer workouts and, and everything that went into it and. Um, had to do a lot with the, the the food plan and the you know the sleep and the recovery and everything like that. Uh, and uh, you know it was obviously something I wish I I understood um, more of uh, earlier in my career. But uh, I'm I'm happy I. 
came to uh, came to realize what I really need to have to do, and and, and um, uh, yeah, now now I guess that the result kind of um, is just uh, a receipt and a, and a confirmation of the the hard work that's been going into the summer. What was the one thing you had to give up that you you regretting? <laughs> um, I mean, give up and give up. I mean, you, you try to obviously. <laughs> Cut out the sugar as much as possible, and, and find substitute for the things that you uh, you used to. Uh, but I think just food-wise, I just went back to eating like I usually did uh, when I was in Sweden, what I did for about 17 years, uh, and the things that worked for me uh, back then, and, and uh, very easy, very simple, and, and uh, easy to get hold of as well. So. Um, obviously, I had a lot to to uh, to thank my uh, my my buddy that was staying with me. He was preparing a lot of the food for me and and kind of kept me in check. And, and um, so, so did my girlfriend uh, in, in terms of eating and uh, eating enough. And, um, so it's just not a not a one man job. You have a team around me with with friends and obviously family that that. Re- I appreciate. Oh yeah, takes takes a village to feed a hockey player. That's for sure. Uh, I wanted to ask you about uh, playing with Artemi Panarin. What's that like? Is this someone who is thinking in that classic hockey sense, ten steps ahead, or is it just somebody who is so good in the moment that you just have to react to what he's doing athletically? I think it's a bit of both, to be honest with you. Um, He's obviously very, very smart, and he 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 reads the play very very well. And uh, he's I feel like he's always ahead, but at the same time, he's so good at improvising in situations where you feel like there's no no real solution to it. He finds a way to to get get out of a situation with the puck and um, in a scoring opportunity, be able to set set guys up. And um, we we've had discussions uh, over these. Um, these weeks and months we've been together about just trying to learn a little bit more about each other um, of, of where we are on the ice and where we're most comfortable and how we want to play the game and I think um, he even even said that in a in a good way uh, even though his English is a little bit up and down I think he uh, you know we we want to have the feeling of knowing where we are and not have to always see uh, where the other one is um, and obviously that takes time. That takes um, time, and, and uh, when you don't play a lot, it's it's kind of hard to work on. But I feel like we're we're trying our best to practice now when we don't have a lot of games, and now when the games are coming up, you you get more more of a feel for and and, and a, a sense for it. So I think uh, you know once we get the the, uh, the regular schedule going, I think it'll be better for us. You mentioned Panarin's English. You know, I personally have the belief that I think it's a little better than he lets on. He's probably just not as confident using it because it is the second language. Um, but yeah. what are the challenges with having a teammate and even a line mate, um, you know, who can't quite communicate totally as much as you'd like to? No, I mean, we can. I think it's, uh, I think he, uh, his English is better than people think. Um, and it's just I have to speak a little bit slower. But it was the same thing for uh, for me when I played with Pavel Buchnevich, which is actually on our line as well right now. So that uh, that uh, that helps a lot. 
uh, for me to be able to speak. And if there's something that he doesn't get, then I'll just tell uh, Bucci that, and he'll he'll translate into Russian. And then we, um, a lot of the talks we have, we feel I feel like we're on the same page. It's just sometimes the communication and and that the way of the ways of communicating maybe um, maybe some of that some 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 of the messages I've kind of come across get gets um you know uh, gets mixed up a little bit but i think uh in that in terms of that i feel like um it's easy it's easy to write on the board it's easy to kind of show on on an ipad or a video or whatever um and um uh, it's it's not it's not that bad and it's obviously uh easier when you have another russian on your side that that can uh, that can help out yeah we didn't mean to forget about pavel uh like that, and I don't want. We don't want. We don't want, want to make you feel like you're talking to Elaine Vigneau. Just kidding. Uh, the, uh, <laughs> uh, tell me about your thoughts. Now you've been with the Rangers for a bit now. Has this, you know, obviously Capo gets drafted, Druba comes in, uh, Panarin signs. Are you astounded by how quickly the rebuild kind of came together when this process started? When they sent that letter to the fans. Uh, did you think that this was going to be a prolonged process versus how Jeff Gordon has kind of pulled it together? Um, I think I've said this in several interviews and, and uh, to other people. Obviously, when that letter came out, um, as a player, your your normal reaction and and, uh, and your first feel for it is uh, right. What what what's going on right now? Um, you you. You always step on the ice. You always want to win, and um, seeing the players that left, uh, unbelievable players, uh, and and players have been with the Rangers for a long time when they had, you know, their run to the playoffs year after year, and and um, now you're heading a different direction. Players that haven't played in the league as much, um, not fully grown, and, and uh, um, it's it, it was hard. It was it was hard to kind of except the fact that we're doing it as a player right away. But again, you see the talent that's coming up. Um, you see what's going on with the organization as far as the draft goes, the players that are coming in, the young players that are willing to learn, willing to, to get better. Um, you, you get excited. But right at that moment, you you, uh, you feel a little bit disappointed um, about the situation, obviously. And um, I feel like it would be weird if you didn't. Um, but Everything that's been going on, especially this summer, um, it's you know you, you get happy, you get excited, and I think that's uh, that was the exact feeling in the locker room. Uh, and then you look at the schedule and you see that you don't have a lot of games in the beginning of the season. You kind of get uh, frustrated with it, but um, obviously nothing we can do about it. But I think just a just a feeling around the locker room, of, you know, from the fans, from the management, from the um, from the coaches as well. I think it's just been all excitement about this group, about the, the guys that have been added, even the guys are coming back. So um, I think uh, I think we can, uh, at least, you know, we're heading in the right direction. I, I think, um, and I hope we can surprise a lot of people this year. All right, Mika, last one for you. One of the coolest stories I saw this summer is, I know you own a restaurant uh, that serves burgers in Sweden with your brother and two other business partners. And we've talked yep. about the women's Swedish boycott actually on this podcast with Henrik Lundqvist. So I think our listeners kind of know what's going on, but you decided to donate, um, you know, portions of those proceeds to the women's national program. So what led you to do that? 
um, what has the reaction been? And if you can just give an update on, you know, how that money might be affecting them and, and where they're at now. Yeah. So, I mean, it started, uh, it started actually after, uh, world championship, um, 2018. Um, and, uh, we got our, um, we got the bonus for winning and, uh, gave that away to the, the, the girls hockey. And, um, it was five or six teams that got to split the money. And, um, it was something that me and my brother, uh, been talking about and i've been expressing that that i want to i want to be able to give back and uh i want to be able to give back to the people and, and the kind of groups that are not you know as fortunate with the resources and uh, and all of that and, and that maybe won't that won't get that much attention in far you know as far as economy goes and and uh and stuff and um we kept going with that and, and the reaction was great the money was you know obviously uh appreciated from their side and they they got opportunities that they didn't have before and that that uh, obviously made me happy and, and then uh, with the restaurant we uh we felt like we could do something uh, as well and i always wanted my own <laughs> my own burger on the menu that we uh <laughs> on a restaurant that we own so um uh, worked out well and um, that was one of the ideas and especially what was going on with the women's program and um it just started not too long ago, so um, I honestly can't tell you how it's evolving in that sense. Uh, but um, uh, you know, the reaction has been great, obviously, and, and uh, uh, I'm I'm happy. I'm happy about that. But uh, in the same sense, you you want to start somewhere. You want to you know uh, help out the way you can, and and um, and, and hopefully that will uh, that will lead into something uh, something bigger and. and uh, something that continue in the in the future what's on the burger uh it is a um it's a house mayo uh with some slice of onions and lettuce and the it's like a cheeseburger with an onion ring and caramelized onion inside of that onion ring and then just a bun on top and uh since my girlfriend is vegan she uh she um she was on me about making a, a vegan option for that. So we're looking into that as well. But um, yeah. so I guess uh, you know everyone can contribute, even those guys, those who won't eat meat. So, um, but I very like inclusive. my version. Obviously. That's very yeah. inclusive. Yeah, you need to get that. In, you need to get that Impossible Burger up in that joint. That's what you need. <laughs> exactly. All right, yeah, Mika. Thank, so. thank you so much for your time, man. Continued success this season. I saw I saw a couple Rangers games when I was back east, and I got to tell you. Win or lose, you guys are going to be pretty exciting this year. So uh, continue success. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Our thanks to Mika Zibanejad of the New York Rangers for joining us. Um, Emily, I, I once again will pat myself on the back for not getting on my soapbox and going on a 20-minute rant about how the burger at his restaurant is the best burger for not having tomato on it because tomato ruins a sandwich. I don't know if you guys were aware of I'm that. I'm really glad you didn't get on that soapbox because I probably would have pushed you off because tomatoes are amazing. And I'm going to go have a burger right after we record this because I'm hungry for one. And I'll have extra tomatoes just for you, Mika. Yeah, that's a wrong opinion. We'll cover that on another episode. We're from uh, New Jersey. We, they have great tomatoes there. Yes, I know. I know. And I know I, the thing about tomatoes I always hear is, you know, Greg, if you ever went to Italy and had a tomato in Italy, they taste remarkably different than all the other tomatoes you've ever eaten. Fine. You know what they still do? They spit out uh, tomato goo with seeds 
all over my sandwich. I, the thought of having a sandwich of any kind and having th- that tomato toxicity, that tomato slime all over my, my beautiful tuna fish or uh, or lunch meat or a burger. Who would put it in tuna fish? Honestly, Greg, texture and acidity, the two things that would complement a nice homemade patty. And the other thing about it is that I like tomatoes in all other forms. Salsa, tomato sauce. Like, give me, give me, give me a tomato transformed in every single way, except for a raw slice of tomato. Just get out of here. Uh, I'm the guy who eats the mozzarella off the tomato when you guys order that stuff, that, that appetizer at an Italian restaurant. And you can stick with the tomato. That's a caprese salad. I'm the girl that bites into a tomato like it's an apple. So, yin and yang. That's why we worked well together on this podcast. It's like Kaplan versus Wyshynski, colon, tomato wars. It's time for goalies and goalie talk. So instead of just kind of going through the league and talking about goalies, we decided to do a little something different, which will probably apply to other positions as the season goes on. Goalie superlatives. Goalie yearbook superlatives. Uh, as we take a look at the NHL in 2019-20 and figure out who the best uh, uh, folks between the pipes are. Dun, dun, dun. Most overrated goalie, Emily Kaplan. Sergey Bobrovsky right now. <laughs> Uh, look, I wanted to, I really wanted to believe in Sergei Bobrovsky after last year's playoff run when he rewrote his own band word on Around the Horn narrative, um, and just looked great in the playoffs and looked like, you know, the martyr that was going to go down, um, with that Columbus Blue Jackets team. But he signs with Florida with this, as we've mentioned many times, including on this podcast, bloated contract, including no movement clauses for a very long term. And he comes out. And his numbers are horse poo-poo. He does not look good. Uh, he obviously has time to turn it around, but just not doing it for me this year. Yeah, I I think he's going to end up being okay, maybe. Um, <laughs> that was confident. But I, I am a little bit worried. I remember when we talked about this at the beginning of the season. Like, I am a little bit worried about the contract thing. I, I have a story coming out this week on, on ESPN with uh, Ned Coletti, who was the GM of the Dodgers. He's now a, a scout for the San Jose Sharks. And one of the rabbit holes went down was the idea of the psychology, the psychological tests that general managers have to apply to athletes at all times. And he has a famous story about Odalis Perez signing a big contract with the Dodgers and then his career kind of falling apart because he couldn't handle the money. And I'm not saying that Sergei Bobrovsky is, you know, uh, it, it has a couple of pencils. He's selling for a, a nickel outside the, the freeway entrance or anything here. Like, he clearly was a pretty wealthy guy before this contract. But then you get to $10 million annually, and it's a different stratosphere. And then there's different pressures on you because you're seen as the, the franchise guy versus maybe being part of the team. There's a lot of sort of external forces on the back of Bobrovsky right now, which make me a little bit concerned about this start. Also, he gave up four goals to the Devils. So, what is he even doing? Um, now, normally my answer for most overrated goalie would be Jonathan Quick, but I think he might be properly rated now, where people think he's just cooked. <laughs> so, I can't really use that answer anymore. So, I'm going to go with someone that maybe uh, people will not like to hear as being overrated, and that's Braden Holtby. Braden Holtby, Ooh. since 2017, has a minus 14. Goals saved above average. Now, granted, there was one, you know, sort of not very good year for him in that mix. But, you know, he was great in the playoffs. No doubt led the Capitals to a Stanley Cup. Made the save of all saves in the in the final. But would it, would it, would it shock you 
to see Ilya Samsonov take that job at some point this season? Like, would it would it stun you? Because if it doesn't stun you to see the Rook take the job from the Vet, then that would tell you that the Vet is a little bit overrated, wouldn't it? It would indeed. And one of the more interesting things I found is, A, first was mentioned, hope he's in a contract year. He should be playing out of his mind right now and it's not off the mm-hmm. best start and be just the fact that they put Samsonov on the roster I know that they're kind of justifying it like we had to make the cap crunch work and that's why we sent Phoenix Copley down they were only saving tens of thousands of dollars I know every dollar counted for them at this mm-hmm. moment but yeah. they clearly believe in this guy they clearly want to give him the chance and yeah I think this is the goal of the future and they're ready to get to the future mm-hmm. and if that's the case you know two things happen then Raiden Holpe uh, goes off to another team, makes a fine chunk of change as a cup-winning goaltender. Maybe he even stays in Washington for a reduced rate to be the mentor to the young goalie. Who's to say? Or he grabs his guitar and becomes Jackson Maine, like he probably should be. Goes and finds himself a Lady Gaga and lives the life that he should be living right now with that beard. Greg's already in Halloween mode. That guitar. Most underrated goalie. Who you got? This is a natural transition because this is the guy that was splitting the net with Holby for a long time. And then he was pretty coveted as a backup and the Colorado Avalanche traded for him. And that's Philip Grubauer. Now he only got 37 starts last year, which was decent because, you know, they had to play that other guy that ended up getting paid a lot of money with the New York Islanders, whatever I digress. But he put up pretty good numbers, 917 save percentage, 264 GAA. He finally this year gets that number one role, which he really deserves. He's deserved for a long time. He's 28 years old, which is probably right about in the goalie prime. And look, I think he's great. I, I think, you know, when we see the Colorado Avalanche have success, um, his success is going to be a big part of it. So I don't think he gets enough credit. Yeah, I I would I mean he's going to get credit if he gets as many starts as we think he's going to get this season for what's going to be a really really good team. Um but yeah, at this point I think you're completely correct that he might be a little bit underrated. My choice is Antti Ranta. Um mm. and he is underrated for one simple reason, which is he that never see two, him. Yeah, since 2017 he's played in 60 games, which is incredible. <laughs> what a horrible run of luck for him. Uh, and for the, uh, the Coyotes in that stretch. But, I mean, when he does play, uh, number eight in the last three, uh, t- three seasons in, uh, goals saved above average, uh, in that short span, just a tremendously terrific goalie who simply can't stay healthy. But I think the, like you said, the fact that he can't stay healthy means that he may not necessarily been on everybody's radar as far as being one of the better goal tenders in this league, but he is when he's healthy. Uh, best goalie tandem. I'm one, out of all the choices here, I wonder if this is going to be the superlative that we match on. It is. I think that there's two obvious answers here. All right. Um, one of them is a team in the West. One is a team in the East. Okay. I'm picking that team in the East, and it's Tuka Rask and Yaroslav Halak. Mm-hmm. They're both over the age of 32. And look, we know what Rask's reputation in Boston is. It's kind of a love-hate thing. They... Love him when he's doing great in the playoffs. They also love to hate on him when he's not doing great. But one of the reasons that he had such a great year last year is because they managed his workload and he and Yaroslav really split the load and did great. You look at them now, Rask through three starts, nine, five, seven save percentage, one, three, three GAA. Halak, not far behind him, three starts, nine, five, one save percentage, one, six, nine GAA. I would feel comfortable with either of those guys in an important game. And I think the Bruins are set up for success with either of them. Mm-hmm. I'm, you go with the other I'm, two. That's it's my choice too. But I'm now curious about the team in the West. Was it? 
Um, was stars. it Nashville? What, who? No. Who was it? It's the Dallas Stars. Yeah, I could see that. I guess because Soros doesn't have the work history that Kudobin does. Um, I think, I think there's like a few tandems in the West that are sort of in that category. I think you, right in Chicago. I mean, if Corey Crawford plays as well as he did against Edmonton, uh, him and Laner, uh, Soros and, and Pekka Rene, uh, obviously what Dallas has, um, there's a few that are, that are actually pretty, pretty darn good. So, but I think we chose the right one. Team whose goaltending will short circuit their season. Who you got? Martin Jones. <laughs> Just Martin Jones. That's the only answer I've got. I worried so much about the San Jose Sharks early in the year um, before Patrick Marlowe came in as superhero and saved the day and got them riding the ship onto the right track. Um, but Jones just hasn't looked great over the last two years. In fact, he's looked like a liability. They have a great defensive group, and where they're still letting in that many goals, it comes down to the goaltender, and I worry, and I wonder if they should have done something to address it this offseason. However, they kind of were strapped because they spent so much resources, you know, signing Eric Carlson to a long-term deal, rightfully so for them, but, you know, they just did, they couldn't, didn't have the capabilities to, like, be in on a Robin Lane, or is that, like, one year, let's pay him $5 million and see what happens. Mm-hmm. I think that's a really good choice, uh, and I considered it, and it probably at the old, at the end of the day is the answer, but I'll go in another direction and say the Columbus Blue Jackets. Um, yeah. Because they replaced Bobrovsky with a guy named uh, Jonas and a guy named Elvis. And uh, Corpusello has not played all that poorly. I mean, the save percentage ain't there, but it hasn't been you know too much of a liability to start the season. I think both of those guys at the end of the day are probably going to be right in the mix for lowest save team save percentage in the league. I think right now the Blue Jackets are fourth from the bottom. Still a good team. Still have some some guys that can play. Still can beat beat a good team on any given night, uh, provided they get above replacement goaltending. And I'm, I'm not sure most nights they're going to get that. So I would say Elvis is still team, adjusting to North American ranks. Like that's yeah. your number two goaltender, and he hasn't played in North America. Elvis is still trying to understand the building. Oh, it. there it true. is. There it is. Uh, goalie you'd want to start for you in a game seven. I know he's getting up there in age. I know we haven't seen him in the playoffs in a little bit. But if it's game seven, I want Henrik Lundqvist oh, in man. my net. Since 2006, he is, the Rangers are six and two in game sevens. It's the most game seven wins of any team in that stretch. I asked this question to a lot of players recently. Um, I think it was last year, the player media tour, like, if it's game seven, who do you trust? All the Canadians obviously said, he said, Carey Price. All of the Americans said Jonathan Quick, who I think would have been your answer if it wasn't this year. Um, but all the smart people said Henrik Lundqvist. <laughs> all the smart people. Jeez. Yeah, all the smart people. Jeff Gorton, uh, Mark Stahl. No, look, uh, I just think that the thing with Henrik is like when he's dialed in, he's unstoppable. And like, I think at his age, it's hard for him to dial in every single night on a consistent yeah. basis. Mm-hmm. But when he needs to get up for a game, he will. Yeah. Uh, goalie, I'd like the most start a game seven for me, of course, Jordan Biddington. Recency bias. But I mean, like, the, the proof's in the pudding. Kid <laughs> because played. you wrote about him this week? I know, also the kid. <laughs> yeah, I wrote about him this week and jinxed him right to hell. The Islanders beat him. Uh, he won three out of four games in Boston. I mean, there's something to be said for that, right? Cool ice veins. I love that story, by the way. If you haven't read it yet, it's great. The lead to the story was phenomenal. You, 
identify the fact that goaltenders have weird superstitions and then detailed Jordan Bennington having the most obs- just intense superstitions and it was wonderful. And, yeah, it was and it was also like him getting mobbed at a buffalo wing restaurant in Canada, which is a- amazing to think that like you're having wings with like your former goalie coach and then some junior goalie goes, "Hey, that's Jordan Bennington." And then you can't get out of the restaurant for 90 minutes because you're signing autographs and taking pictures, probably with wing sauce in your face. Finally. Peak Canada anecdote. Peak would have been poutine. Finally. Goalie you'd most like to have a beer with. I feel like we kind of touched on this last week when we're talking about who would be fun on, you know, color commentaries and NHL broadcasts. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it's Anton Kadobin. Um, I was thinking about this and like, if I was like actually wanting to get something journalistically out of it, I think I would pick Corey Crawford because I live in <laughs> Chicago and he's never available. And I just feel like I'd like to understand who he is and get to know him. So practical reasons, Corey Crawford, just to like, I want to have a good time and laugh a lot. Anton Kadobin. I like, I like this tact you've taken because I think I'm going to take the same tact journalistically, okay. uh, who needs to be loosened up a little bit. That'd be John Gibson. John Gibson, couple couple of brews, me and him, waxing rhapsodic about life. You just want him to actually vent about how his defense has left him high and dry for the last two seasons? Or, or just kind of like, not, I mean, unless he's like an angry drunk. I mean, like, I, just not be so standoffish. You know, just loosen up he's a little, a little bit. He's a little surly at times. Yeah. A little surly. Couple, 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 couple of Kila shots. Couple lick, lime lip, lime, lime licks. Be in good shape. Uh, the guy, but, but my choice for like fun loving dude who I assume would be my friend under different Yin's circumstances. New. Huh? Yin's new. Yin's new who it is? No, 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 no. Good, <laughs> good, good choice though. Uh, James Reimer. Like I think oh. James Reimer would be like super fun. Like I know maybe, you know, we don't necessarily share the same morals. Uh, he seems to be a real spiritual dude. And, uh, you know, I'd probably be on the floor of the bar by the end of the night. But I think that he and I would have nice conversations over what I assume would be light beer for him and a skank IPA for me. So James Reimer. James, if you're listening to this podcast, let's have a beer, buddy, when you have the opportunity. All right. We would go from beer to food in what has been a very culinary-centric episode of uh, ESPN and Ice. It's time for our favorite segment of the week. Phil Kessel loves hot dogs. No, he does not love to eat hot dogs. Our weekly look, look at sad hyperbole and strange narratives of the hockey media. Good one, Randy. Good one. It's Phil Kessel loves hot dogs. It's the uh, segment each week where we take a look at the hockey media and its hyperbole and its foibles and its big and dumb mistakes. Like, for example, a headline that catches the ire of a professional women's league. Sportsnet. Ran a really good story on the National Women's Hockey League that our friend Christina Rutherford wrote. Uh, but the headline on the story was, quote, am I a scab kicking off the NWHL's most controversial season? Now, in fairness to the editors at Sportsnet, am I a scab was a direct quote from a player. But am I a scab certainly does kind of set one down the path in this we only read the headline society to thinking that what the NWHL is dealing with is a player strike versus a player boycott slash deciding to bleed the league dry until it dies. Um, the NWHL, vigilance as always, called out Sportsnet 
and said, what is with this headline? Rutherford story, aces. Headline, bad. So, Sportsnet changed it. The new headline of the story, Emily, is not am I a scab, question mark. It's I need to play hockey, all capital letters. On the ice as the National Women's Hockey League kicks off the most controversial season in its history. So we've gone from am I a a enemy of labor to I love hockey Whee! in the span of maybe a few hours. Well, unfortunate headline changing aside, it was an excellent story and I recommend everyone read it. And I think it was an important story, too, because it really humanized the people who are playing in that league this year. And it highlighted a lot of the. I think quintessential questions and juxtaposition of what's going on that they're facing. So good stuff by Christina. Absolutely. All right. Time for puck headlines. Dateline Staples Center. (sighs) The Los Angeles Kings have covered up the Taylor Swift concert banner in their arena, which was raised in 2015 because they haven't won the cup since 2014. So that's the jinx. It's the Taylor Swift banner, and it was covered up by the L.A. Kings. Silly. <laughs> pretty silly indeed. Um, obviously, they couldn't shake off the jinx. You just got to shake it off. Got to do it. I don't. I mean, there's a number of different concert banners that I wouldn't mind people. Like, I could do without the Billy Joel banner in Madison Square Garden. Like, congratulations. New York artists play a bunch of shows in New York. Good job. You have some bad blood with Billy Joel? (laughs) Yes. My my parents used to play his albums a lot, and uh, that was a very cruel summer. Yeah, you're just seeing red right now. Seeing red, yeah. Dateline, Dateline, the real deal. (laughs) James Neal has eight goals in six games. That's a that's a Gretzky-esque start within the context of Edmonton Oilers history. Are we looking at this year's Rocket Richard winner, Emily? No, but we're looking at a guy who's going to regress back to the mean, and his mean was not what we saw last year. I think, honestly, some, when I was talking earlier about Pavelski and like guys just having a hard time adjusting, Sometimes like a guy gets traded or signs a new deal and just like their heart is still in the former place. And I think James Neal's heart was in Vegas last year and it wasn't in Calgary and he just wasn't put in the right positions to succeed. And whatever it was, whatever bad juju was shaken, this is just his fresh start. And we're just going to see regular old James Neal who scores about 30 goals a year and is a consistent good winger. Yeah, I think the bad juju was named Bill Peters, uh, the coach that he uh, hated in Calgary, who didn't put him in positions to excel offensively. Uh, and I think the, the, the new juju, the good juju, is uh, Dave Tippett, who put him on Conor McDavid's line. So congrats to James Neal. A heck of a start and a good reminder that uh, sometimes all you need is a little change in scenery to make things work again. Dateline NHL stats... Our uh, friendly eggheads in the analytics community are going uh, bat poop crazy uh, this week when it was discovered that the NHL has changed the way it measures distances on shots. Our, our good friends at Evolving Hockey have some video evidence of this where they were showing uh, an Anthony Mantha goal that uh, I think the NHL said was about six feet out that was actually like scored from the crease. 
this is a big deal, and I'm still waiting to hear back from the NHL on exactly why this is happening because uh, it messes with the expected goal stat, that which is a critical analytic. It messes with almost every single goal, goalie analytic that we have whether it was uh, high danger uh, save percentage or expected goals or expected save percentage. It's a really big deal. And so the question is, will the NHL recalibrate the way it's tabulating these uh, numbers or if the eggheads are going to have to come up with a new algorithm to adjust for what the NHL is doing? Either way, um, yeah, let's get let's get on that puck tracking and player tracking so we don't have to do this nonsense anymore, huh? Wouldn't that be fun? Hey, when is that coming? Ah, eventually. We had to get rid of that German company that was, you know, you know, paid millions of dollars to develop the technology and then it didn't work. So now we're back on another thing. But we'll get to it eventually. Dateline Monday Night Raw. I don't know if to be jealous or sad about this, but the NHL and NBC team appeared on WWE television on Monday night to give their pre-recorded thoughts on the Raw and SmackDown drafts. Jeremy Roenick compared Seth Rollins to Connor McDavid, and Keith Jones just smiled throughout the segment without saying anything, um, which may be the, the ultimate judgment on how that thing went. But uh I don't I don't know how this ha- like I don't even know what the relationship is between wrestling and NBC at this point it used to be on NBC but all of a sudden the the studio show for the NHL and NBC showed up on wrestling. And here you have me just smiling throughout the entire segment without saying ah. anything cuz I just don't know. There you go. A regular Keith Jones over here. No one hit Ronick <laughs> with a chair by the way. Much to my chagrin. Dateline Denver. Pepsi Center. The home of the Denver Nuggets and Colorado Avalanche is teaming up with Ball Corporation to use, quote, infinitely recyclable lightweight aluminum cups for games and other events at the arena. Pepsi Center is the first major professional sports arena to use the cups in full-scale manner. Uh, Previously, the University of Colorado had used these lightweight aluminum cups for beer sales to cut down on uh, paper waste. Now... I've never held one of these cups. I'm assuming they're very light because in my mind, Emily, I'm thinking throwing a paper cup versus throwing an aluminum cup, not saying that avalanche fans would do such things, just saying in general hockey fans might do such things, that perhaps it would be more of a pointed projectile than a paper cup. Mm. That's just what I'm thinking. Mm. My only takeaway when I read this story was I'm glad that we're taking some of the burden away from plastic straws. They've just been vilified lately. It's been really sad for me, a plastic straw enthusiast. When are we going to get to the point where people just bring their own water bottles to games to uh, fill up at the self-serve beer stations and eliminate cups altogether? I can't wait. That's going to be great. Oh, I See, I want to believe that we're going to reach that point. But at the same time, let's be honest – the markup on souvenir cups at a hockey game, the ones that have like the hologram on the outside or like the commemorative sticker on the outside versus just looking like a regular, regular cup that probably plays, pays for a, a fourth line left wing at the end of the year. Yeah. Or you sell swell water bottles for like $45 and just that incorporates three or four of those other sales, but there you go. To say? But, but it's a classic shark tank conundrum. If you sell a water bottle that you never need to get rid of, well then. You'll never buy another water bottle, but you'll always buy more plastic cups. See? 
Now you're it sounds like an SAT math question, and I did not do well <laughs> in the math section of the SATs. <laughs> All right. Hey, Ryan, do we have a rant line? What in the world is going on in New Jersey? They've got brand new players, and they're not meshing. This coach has to go. It's just enough already. But then on the other hand, look at what happened to Pete DeBoer. They kicked him out, and then he went all the way to the Stanley Cup. Still didn't win, but still. Is it too early? Is it too late? What do we do? Help us, please. about hmm. covers the bases on this one? Um, you wait until the end of this homestand, and then you act accordingly. Because, again... They're already down 0-1 on the the homestand, losing to Florida after having a 4-1 lead in that game. If you come out of this homestand with, like, three points and you're still porous defensively, I think he has to go. Personally, I couldn't tell you who they should hire because I don't know who the candidate should be. But personally, just give the team to Sergey Breland. Plucky depth forward on Stanley Cup championship teams, and like, when have we ever had a Russian coach? Like, the Penguins had one once. Give the team to him. Who cares? By this point, you're, you're like a hundred points out of a playoff spot already. Give the team to me. There's an idea. I'll earn the respect in the room when they see me skate backwards. <laughs> All right. Thanks for the rant. Much appreciated. Emily, what's going on with you this week? I uh, got a story on the Red Wings coming out later this week, and then I'll have some women's hockey coverage because the PHWPA, I think I finally got their acronym right, is coming to Chicago. What do you got? Uh, Ned Coletti piece coming up for the Sharks. I'm excited for that. It should be fun. And then uh, I am a Power Rankings boy this week and this month. So please, uh, Buffalo friends, Direct all of your hate to me when inevitably your team is like 19. Not number one. <laughs> because half the voters haven't watched any games yet. <laughs> Kidding. Every voter that votes on the power rankings is uh, crunching numbers and watching games and breaking down tape. They all Diligent know research. exactly what's going on and have not been doing play-by-play on college football games. <laughs> wow. Shots fired. It's <laughs> just saying people are very busy this time of year, you know? That's all I'm saying. It's a busy time. Watch all right. those pucks. All right. That's ESPN and Ice for this week. Uh, I'm Greg Wyshynski. Emily Kaplan. Bye. Bye. This has been ESPN on Ice with Wyshynski and Kaplan. Subscribe to the show in the ESPN app or Apple Podcasts.